Salam dear listeners, sorry about that technical snag. I was not I was not hearing my own voice there. Once again, welcome to this week's afternoon satsang. This is Prem from Team Radio Sai, and as I said, with me is Arvind, and we are here to continue the Ramakatha Raswaini. As we know that this is the fortnight, we dwell upon the beautiful story of Lord Rama, even more beautifully narrated to us by Swami through his book Ramakatha Raswaini. And as always, before I invite Arvind to join us in this discussion, we offer our most humble pranams at Swami's lotus feet, and we begin by. Reminiscing this beautiful and nectarine name of Lord Rama. Sri Rama Rama Rame Di Rame Rame Manorame Sahasranamatatuyam Ramanama Varanane Ramanama Varanane Saram dear listeners and we begin offering our humble pranams at the lotus feet of Sai Rama, Lord Sri Rama and of Hanuman who is present wherever the Ramkatha is sung. Last week we began the war, I mean not us actually, the war began between the forces of good led by Lord Sri Rama and the evil forces of Ravana. Now even as I make that statement. I seem to be making a clear-cut differentiation, a black and white difference between good and bad, uh, what is good, what is bad. Uh, there are some thoughts regarding this which we shall share in today's satsang. But last week we described the war that had begun and it was almost completely in favor of the forces of Lord Sri Rama, the Vanaras fighting valiantly and bravely, knowing that they are being backed by the Lord, knowing that they are part of the Lord's army. That in itself seemed to be sufficient for them to measure up and match and overpower the might of the Rakshasas who were wielding all kinds of weapons from swords to bows and arrows to maces, including magical powers while the Vanaras on this side were wielding just sticks and boulders, trees, twigs, their own bare hands, their paws I mean, their nails and their teeth. So this was the war that was going on, the battle that was going on we described as to how Lord Sri Rama devised a four-pronged attack from all sides. There were generals leading the attack and the Rakshasa army was in shambles. It was being smashed from all sides. And we stopped as the sun set in the evening and nightfall happened. We stopped giving an introduction to what was going to happen next because it is at the time of the night that the Rakshasas become all powerful. And so now the Rakshasas are regrouping. The demons are hoping that the night time will work in their favor and they can use the cover of darkness to overwhelm the Vanara army. 
and possibly secure a few victories and demoralize the the hordes of vanaras that are rampaging through uh, around the fortress of lanka so with this hope they set out for a fresh battle at night and this time they are led by akampa and atikaya the two rakshasa generals who are leading the onslaught even as you said that uh, the war has begun i'm just reminded of how excited we would be as children when we used to see these ramayana or mahabharat in the tv and you know we would be waiting for the war part of it to start because all that which involves a lot of dialogue and lot of the uh, the inner significance behind the entire epic would be lost on us as children you know we would wait for that war part to start because there's some action and especially when it is depicted on, on media it's you know all that color and uh, the glitter with which it is showered but you know when when we read the ramayana i'm sure even if we were to watch those things with all our wisdom we wouldn't have understood the essence behind it as much as we can understand now going through swami's uh, discourses and swami's ramkatha raswani because uh, as you started off very beautifully you know we say that it's a battle between good and evil it's very difficult in any situation to say that this is good and that is evil this is bad and that is uh, you know that is right but probably the only time when you can really with uh, a lot of authority say that is when you know that the lord is on one side hmm. i think that's when you you have no ambiguity you have no second thoughts about it because the side the lord stands on is definitely the dharmic one uh, you made a reference to the uh, television serial and i too remember watching this ramayana as a child and um, for me i used to await the war because i did not understand hindi Okay. and i would be sitting with my parents it used to come on a sunday and those days we were not bombarded with uh, hundreds of channels we just had two channels <laughs> and on sunday there would be an absolute curfew on the streets yes. it would appear it's, like it's it's like on sundays you become a devotee on any other day in the evening you sit you are a villager <laughs> you are a farmer <laughs> correct you, know, you you have very limited choice right and and uh, as we are watching i remember you know uh, the elders would be watching and suddenly a powerful dialogue would be uttered and everyone would make clicks you know <laughs> wow in in admiration and i would ask what happened what happened you know or if i see a expression of uh, admiration on their face i would ask what happened and they would get irritated a bit because Uh, in explaining to me they would lose the uh, track of the further dialogues right. times have progressed you know different uh, versions of the ramayana and mahabharata have been made using a lot of uh, you know modern graphics but prem you know in spite of all those graphics still it is not as amazing as the ramayana of the yor because i feel uh, the ramayana serial that was produced in those times all said and done was backed strongly by the philosophy the story as written by valmiki today a lot of uh, uh, you know changes and variations are being made in order to spice up the ramayana so while the glitz and glamour has been added still we have people who say that nothing nothing to beat the old ramayana the two decade old ramayana or the three decade old ramayana absolutely i think the reason is uh, we mentioned this before in one of sami's discourses he says that you know why it is important to read the ramayana definitely it's not practically possible for 100% of us to live 100% like uh, the the values given in the ramayana of course that's that should be the endeavor but it's i mean the truth is it's not possible for all of us 
But Swami would say that at least you've kept an ideal which is so lofty. At least you've kept yourself a target which is so lofty. And one thing, I mean, as you're saying that in the modern depictions of Ramayana, uh, there is a desperate attempt to explain some of these things in the modern context. Mm. You know, saying that uh, it's not possible that people would have lived like this. Maybe this is the you know plausible explanation uh, why Rama would have done like this, or why Lord Krishna would have done like this. Makes it apologetic, almost. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, that's the word I was looking for. It makes it the narrative itself is so apologetic that uh, you know you, I understand it's very difficult to explain this to you. But maybe it is because of these these conditions that you know these characters would have taken these decisions and done uh, certain things. I mean, it's not given like this was the right thing to do, and that's why they did this. Did this, you know, th- that kind of uh, the strength of character is not seen in the narrative itself. And I think that's a sign of how we are diluting our morals, you know, in the modern world today. Swami had said, you know, God, you think God, you are dust, you think dust, you are. And Swami has also said, you know, that when Swami says that with man I am a man, with woman I am a woman, with child I am, with children I am a child, and when I am alone I am God, it just shows that God is reaction, reflection, resound. Whatever we think of God, that's what God becomes. I feel the same thing can be extrapolated to the Ramayana also. You know, whatever we think of the Ramayana, that is what the Ramayana becomes. And Therefore, the way we interpret the Ramayana as a society, as a collective conscious, actually speaks about the quality of our society and the quality of our collective conscious. That's all I feel. If we feel that uh, Ramayana is not uh, so inspiring, Ramayana is actually not so ideal, Ramayana... You know, we just are seeing a reflection of how our society is today. It just shows that our society is not idealistic. Our society is apologetic. That's what it is. It's just a reflection of the current times. And I say this because throughout the Ramayana, wherever we see, we see only kind of metaphors, you know, metaphors and similes, which actually point out to something much deeper. For instance, right now, you know, we were speaking of Akampa and Atikaya. One thing interesting to note is all these Rakshasa names. Anukampa means compassion. Mm-hmm. And this Rakshasa is named Akampa. You know, um, there itself, see, however bad a person might be, which mother will or which father will ever name a child in an ugly manner. That in itself shows that some of these names are not possibly their birth names, but possibly the names that they have got because of their actions. That gives out one message very clearly as to it doesn't matter what your birth is, your actions determine who you are. Right. Because I don't think Akampa's <laughs> mother named him Akampa. It's same thing. I think last uh, week we spoke about another Asura hmm. whose name Swami uh, you know, mentioned so beautifully in that discourse. Vidyut Jiva. Vidyut Jiva. Yeah, that means the one with a lightning tongue. Hmm. I mean somebody who can speak in, in a manner that can be so harmful like a lightning. You know, that's the word. What a beautiful name. Not beautiful in that sense. What an apt name for a Rakshasa probably. Huh. No, all the names, even Ravana. Every every demonic name has a negative connotation. That makes me feel that these are not possibly their birth names. They possibly had some good birth names. But these are names that have been ascribed to them based on what they have done and what their qualities. Atikaya. Atikaya stands for, like, I feel like, full body attachment and your own um, uh, fascination with your own body. You know, Atikaya. Extra uh, concentration, focus on the body. And if you go deeper into the metaphor, 
why is it said i was thinking why is it said that rakshasas become powerful at night you know it doesn't take even a little bit of uh, thinking you know if we have constantly heard what swami has said read what swami has said you know it becomes very clear that darkness symbolizes ignorance and when there is lack of wisdom when there is no uh, gyana jyoti when there is ignorance that is when all the demonic qualities all the rakshasa traits of anger lust greed all this thrive all these thrive on ignorance i mean i felt that is the most beautiful and spontaneous interpretation of why rakshasas become powerful at night why not others becoming powerful at night because as ignorance grows that is when the uh, demonic qualities grow absolutely i think it's it uh, the explanation you gave was so beautiful because you express your demonic nature if you try to utilize ignorance i think that is the thing as you saying ignorance the darkness uh, stands for ignorance and if you are trying to make use of ignorance to harm somebody or if i am trying to make use of your ignorance to harm you i think that's a demonic quality in me i think that's that is how you know, that's why it's portrayed like these demons get more powerful in the night to suggest that you know and as swami would say that in the present age you don't have dem- demons and and the good ones you have the demons living in each one of us and it's a battle of us suppressing that demonic nature within our own selves and you see the way rama deals with this you know rama uh, it is given that you know accompany atikaya swami writes that they created havoc panic swami says you know each sentence that swami writes prem if you just think a little deeper it thrills you because you understand that exactly as you said this is about a struggle going on within each one of us when this darkness comes Swami writes that the vanaras are unable to distinguish between friend and foe they lose discrimination wow you know when ignorance comes your discrimination is gone and what does rama do rama doesn't come and kill akampa and anukam atikaya you know he doesn't come and slay these demons what he does is releases the agneyastra which is the arrow of fire and swami says that this agneyastra goes and lights up the skies it is almost as if the sun has risen again there is light everywhere and once this happens the vanaras themselves smash the demons again see see <laughs> rama has not actually killed this it is not as if the lord destroys anger the lord destroys lust it is like the lord just provides gnanodaya the uh, light and once the darkness is gone automatically the evil forces have to beat the retreat and the good forces win absolutely in fact uh even as you saying that i'm tempted to narrate one thing which which is going to go on our website shortly and uh-huh. i'm tempted to release that uh, we were speaking to uh, mr romel i'm sure you've heard of him mm-hmm. a very distinguished member of our sai family mm-hmm. he is a he's been an ambassador for the government of india mm-hmm. a former diplomat his full name is romel uh, i'm not sure of his uh, full name a very very humble person it's very difficult to get anything out of him but uh, there was an article which he uh, contributed to one of the 90th birthday souvenirs mm. and uh, that's what we are working on to publish on the website and there he shares about how as a young man he came with all i mean he was in a army school and got into bad company he got into all the bad habits you can think of you know including chewing tobacco smoking drinking and he says how just by joining swami sevadal and 
the way Swami guided him through those years in his 20s, Swami did not do anything. Swami very casually, I mean, at his own pace, Swami made him, you know, drop every one of those bad habits. Hmm. And it was done not by force, not by Swami saying that, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to throw you out of here or anything like that. Very, very sweetly and slowly Swami did it. And he said, all the while, you know, the time which was freed by giving up any of those bad qualities was taken up by the seva he was doing as a sevadal. It's such a beautiful story, you know, and he, and he says that how because of these habits he was very bad at studies when he was a student mm. and how Swami came in a dream and Swami told him that you study for, uh, you know, this IFS and he mm. wrote the exam, he cleared it. It's so beautiful, as you I mean, as you're saying this, it's precisely what Swami does to every transformational story. That's the role Swami plays. You know, he does not come and uh, kick the hell out of the bad habit in you or the bad quality in you. He just, you know, th- that love that he provides in that life of that individual becomes that light that dispels the ignorance and, you know, and the person himself or herself battles those flaws in them. I remember having a conversation with one of my most admired teachers, that is Sailesh Sailesh sir. And uh, the discussion ended in such a beautiful manner with Sailesh sir giving such a wonderful insight. I was very thrilled. Uh, The doubt that I had was, you see, it is said telling a lie is wrong or, you know, violence. Ahimsa is one of the things, Satya Dharma Shanti Prema Ahimsa. So, which means Himsa is an animal value, if Ahimsa is a human value. Right. In the same way, Shanti, peace is this, therefore anger and this must be negative. So, when we have clear distinction between good and bad, my question was, oh, how do we, why do we exempt God, you know, from that? When Krishna told lies, let's face it, come on, even let's not try to <laughs> be a advocate for Krishna. Yeah, Krishna told lies, Krishna, Krishna did deceit. Krishna cheated, Krishna, Krishna, Rama got angry. We, we saw here, you know, Rama got angry on the ocean. So, just because Rama got angry is anger. That's how, you know, our, uh, forget anger being justified. Our pundits, our scholars, people stand up and say, wow, they admire even the anger of Rama. It's almost as if anger gets sanctified because of it <laughs> touching Rama. So, my question was, how is it? You know, how can this be the case? At the end of the long discussion, the, I'm just summing up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. What Sailesh sir said was so beautiful. He said, you think anger is bad. Anger is not bad. Because if anger is bad, why would Swami use it? Swami has used it to correct people, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, anger is also a tool. So, he said, you think love is good? And by love, he was meaning the love as we understand it, you know, in our day-to-day sense. I like somebody, I love somebody, I hate somebody, I don't like somebody. Not the universal love where there is only peace because I see the same God in everyone. Not that. Normal love. But that normal love that I feel. For instance, you know, I was reading the art- an article the other day. Okay. This is what I'm trying to distinguish. Uh, you, you see a, a squirrel. Somebody has written about a small squirrel, how it was lying helpless and how uh, she went and she picked it up and all her love she took care of such a cute thing, such a lovely thing and and she felt very wonderful. She felt that this is how we should respond to another life. But in the end, she herself has put a very poignant thought. She says, instead of a baby squirrel, had I found a baby rodent, I don't know what would have been my reaction. You know, (laughs) because that is not true love. I am possibly taking care of a squirrel because it's cute. A rodent is ugly. Pure love doesn't see that distinction. So in that sense, love. So he said, so what Silas said was, see, even love, 
is not that it is good it's also a tool just like anger is a tool and then he said all these are just tools so there's nothing like a virtue and a sin in the absolute sense he said the only virtue is a virtue of jnana or wisdom or knowledge and the only sin is the sin of ignorance or agnana he said why ignorance is a sin is because in ignorance when you think you are loving you are actually getting attached which is wrong which is leading to bondage you get anger you get hatred all this comes because of ignorance the same thing when it is done in light in the in the light of wisdom with jnana swami's anger becomes noble anything that swami does becomes dharma anything that he speaks becomes satya because there is no ignorance there and therefore he said any god realized person or god in the avatar anything that they speak or say is divine and good because it is done in absolute jnana the only sin therefore is the sin of agnana once you give up agnana there is nothing like good and bad everything becomes good see that is why that is why i feel our rule of the thumb in the beginning what you said that to know whether it's right or wrong we may have gray areas but when it when god is on one side it becomes very clear because i feel more than god it is it is that wisdom the lack of agnana there's no ignorance there so ignorance is evil and lack of ignorance is or wisdom is good i thought and i was very impressed with this answer and i just thought this is a nice place to share it's, it's it's very beautiful thought in fact uh, i think nothing what you've said before is as comprehensively uh, i mean explains this duality between good and bad is this it's so beautiful and i think it also gives us an idea of how to approach the epic itself you know i mean we are saying that this is darkness and this is light if we are looking at the epic through darkness how will we see the points which are brought out even in in the best light in the uh, you know in the epic mm. i mean we are going through the life of a personality like lord rama and if you are constantly looking at it with a critical mind which is not wrong completely but probably you're not you will not uh, benefit as much if you were looking at it with what some would say as shraddha and and that faith you know when you look at it with the idea that this is the lord who is doing it so there's definitely something right about it and then if you look at the epic and then if you look at uh, the life of the avatar the way you will look at it will be completely different and the way you will gain from it will be completely different but uh, well, given our way of approach we are constantly questioning you know why did lord rama kill wali from behind the uh, rock you know why did he send away sita definitely debates on this is definitely uh, required and it's healthy for a society itself but i think when somebody looks at some of these stories you know be it the ramayana be it the bible be it the quran the way you look at it with faith the the amount of wisdom you will draw from it the amount of benefit you will draw from from it will be completely different than when you will look at it critically i feel that is a key point we have to remember why am i doing this you know how will i gain by asking why did rama kill wali from behind or why did rama send sita to the forest of course there will be logical debates answers everything other than invigorating the intellect or exciting the mind it leads to nothing you know because at the end of the debate irrespective of which side i am how does it help me i feel if we can be in quotes selfish that see we do everything in life whatever we do in life whether we accept it or not we do it so that we benefit from it some manner it might be on a 
financial way it might be in a relationship manner it might be in a spiritual way whatever we are always looking for benefit why don't we have that same attitude when we even read the ramayana because once we have that attitude i think we will be able to read it in the proper perspective in which we gain and the proper perspective as you rightly put it is to read it with shraddha with faith and once you read it with faith you see the immense benefit that you accrue from it how in the sense you know going even brutally in that manner how does it matter whether it's a myth or a story or whatever i'm benefiting from it right that's enough so i feel we have to get spiritually selfish in that manner and if we truly look for our for our benefit we will benefit a lot rather than just wasting time in debates at the end of which nobody is benefited nobody is uplifted it just reminds me of another question which i think uh, long back <laughs> professor venkatraman was uh, asked and you know this question of we were all heard swami saying that uh, he is not very fond of the internet the discourses where he has mentioned this you know don't waste your time in the internet go to the internet and uh, there was once a question which is very strong saying that when swami says like this what business does you know swami's devotees have uh, in putting out swami's discourses and stories about swami in the internet it's almost like <clears throat> i will not stop going to the internet but how dare you go to the internet when swami has told this hmm. <laughs> i think uh, yeah even to even raise such a question like that it requires a certain amount of moral standing not because you know you don't dare question me it's, it's not that way but it doesn't benefit anybody in, in the end of the day you know where it comes to swami as you're saying that when you look at it with shraddha you're looking at it with selfishness in fact in i think in uh, one of swami's vahinis swami says what is the base quality of spirituality what is the first quality of a spiritual aspirant and swami says it is uh, swami uses the word i think it's swecha swami says the desire to benefit so that is the first you know that's the propelling the uh, desire i mean you you might talk of it as selfishness but here is an individual who is saying that i want the best benefit from my life and realizes that it is available only in spirituality hmm. it is available only in this path of having faith and having uh, you know devotion to the lord so it even that is coming from that selfishness that desire to you know i want to benefit maximum from this you know when you were saying about that person who wrote why is this on the internet you were trying to give an explanation i would have straight asked him or her how did you come to know it's on the internet yeah Which but precisely that's a yeah, saying that internet. i will not stop going to the internet <laughs> yeah but i want you to others to follow so anyway getting back to the story here so that is what i that's why i felt the whole you know ramayana itself it's so metaphorical because here rama just used the agni astra dispels darkness and then you know this is another beautiful thing that once the darkness is dispelled once the ignorance is gone the lord need not even move a blade of grass actually everything automatically happens because when we read swami's narrative actually rama is not doing anything you know once in a while he leaves one arrow that's all the the vanaras the monkeys are destroying uh ravana ravana and his forces that was another thought that got provoked in me prem that see when you have ravana who is the monarch who has conquered everything everybody is shuddering to approach him even the gods seem to be scared of battling him look at the uh, irony or the paradox here uh, monkeys and bears and even possibly one little squirrel <laughs> some squirrels they are smashing the army with just what stones and bricks and sticks 
it's amazing i think uh, more than leading us into a discussion whether it is really true or it's a mythology i think it should inspire in us the capacity and the glory of the lord's name and the glory of god because it shows that if god wills even monkeys and bears can defeat ravana it's because of the lord's will that ravana ruled supreme ravana also had boon from god so i feel all this just shows the power and might of the lord that nothing is impossible for the lord and all we need to do is be on the lord's side absolutely in fact uh, there was once uh, swami was asked this question we speak so much about vasanas you know, hmm. vasanas is nothing but uh, traits traits preconceived notions we could say that you know there are some past experiences which come to bear upon your present decision making mm-hmm. right you know you, there is fear there is selfishness whatever it is all of it comes from the experiences you've had in the past correct and they say that it is so overpowering that you have very little space to do otherwise okay so swami was somebody asked swami that swami so much depends on the vasanas i think it is there in one of the dialogues in uh, uh, the gita too that uh, arjuna asks this that you know if if you say that so much is dependent on my vasana then how much does it def- depend on my present effort okay mm-hmm. and uh, swami went on to say yes there is a little bit of window there where if you choose to be dharmic now it has a role to play in uh, you know fighting against the vasana and then swami said namasmarana see the most of the people we don't logically understand why namasmarana can help it but swami says that constant namasmarana actually allows you to fight against these vasanas mm. if you look at this situation here in the, in the ramayana swami has made this analogy saying that the vasanas actually stand for the thoughts right and rama is for the uh, the, the his he stands for the atma and these vasanas uh, the mind yeah the mind basically the monkey mind and each vasana probably is a thought so you can see this when you're saying that even the demons and even the gods were scared of ravana and all that that can be depicted as the vasana you know from past experience what is the overbearing idea that ravana is is you know uh, indefeatable nobody can conquer him and here are these vanarasena each one of them so pumped up with this name of lord rama who so you know fired up because they are fighting on the side of rama that can be considered as namasmarana and this scene will lead to the overpowering of this demon who was otherwise thought of as inconquerable absolutely and the inconquerable demon so so called inconquerable demons are smashed and that's why late in the night they are holding a meeting ravana calls for a meeting and in the meeting he wants to regroup because on every side he is facing defeat and probably he had expected that at night at least they will be able to win but that is also not happening that is when a very elderly minister i think his name is malyavanta right he gets up and tries one last ditch effort he says oh ravana is one of the ancestors of ravana right oh yeah. i think so yes he is one of the father of ravana uh, he now cu- currently functioning as a minister right. in ravana's court and so he tells ravana that uh, see ravana ever since you have brought sita we have always had only bad omens and you know the fate of lanka seems to be getting smashed because of this so he tries to appeal to ravana to let go of sita but ravana again another example of vinashakala vipritha buddhi he gets wild angry he says you old man if not for your age and if not for my respect towards you i would have got you killed right now i would have killed you right away if you can't 
be with me just get out get out from here uh you know on our website we are carrying the story of mr harihara krishnan and how he uh with swami's grace could come out safely from kuwait mm-hmm. when it was invaded by iraq so with that in in that context i was reading up about uh, um the different things iraq iran history kuwait saddam hussein right so i i read one episode where apparently saddam hussein is talking about his um desire to conquer and attack during the iraq iran war and mm-hmm. they're suffering heavily iraq is suffering and receiving a lot of battering because iran's army was much more powerful and at that point in time one person gets up and he says very um, squeakingly says he apparently tells saddam that i don't know but i just feel that saddam you know in order to stop all this you just step down step down for a while mm-hmm. okay and once we say step down because it looks like their hostility is towards you the animosity is towards you once you step down the animosity will cease you still continue to be in the party the bath party and uh, within a few months we elect you back so as a stop gap temporary measure so that you know we can stop the war and there are millions died in that war millions are suffering we can give them aid immediately there is anger on saddam's face and uh, uh, he asks there who else support this so nobody raises his hand so this is a documented thing so saddam tells okay you come takes that person to the next room shoots him right in his forehead walks back and then continues with the discussion mm-hmm. so <laughs> i was thinking maybe i'll not as bad but this is what ravana is also doing anybody who speaks against what i have decided already they are all villains they are siding with the enemy they are not on my side it's like already predecided they have no choice this is what it is i am destined to take you towards your doom that's how it is so ravana does this and he therefore he doesn't kill malyavanta but he banishes him from the court and he continues the meeting with others with all the others who will uh, pat him on his back and laud his laurels and still speak about an impossible victory right and it is at this point that one of the uh, i mean finally ravana hears a favorable voice and this time it's his own son and indrajit gets up and he starts thumping his chest and he says father you don't worry i am there i will take the battle to the enemy's camp and he says tomorrow i, I will you know i will show you what i can do in the battle hmm. and he reassures he saying that we don't have to uh, you know go back on our steps we don't have to surrender mother sita and ravana is finally so happy to listen to that and i'm sure there would have been other people in the court who would have echoed the same thing who would have uh, you know given as you saying the, the way ravana reacted to malyavanta who is supposed to be his own grandfather hmm. and definitely one of the senior ministers in the court nobody else would have dared to raise their uh, voice and i'm sure silently all of them would have be wondering you know uh, when is my chance going to come is it today or tomorrow or when are we going to uh, you know when is the war going to take the toll and i'm going to be a part of it that's why you know swami writes so beautifully he writes that when indrajit gets up and tells this ravana is somewhat reassured because i think ego always looks for support from outside while uh, confidence atmabhimanam doesn't need any support from outside you can see it ravana in spite of being who he is needs words of consolation and assurance from everyone around he can't stand words that go against him even from one person 
while on the other hand you look at rama rama he has actually no <laughs> heroic warriors as such he is standing on the basis of his own self confidence so while ravana seems a little mollified and pacified swami writes that all the others who went to bed that night didn't get sleep because as it is said when you know your death is near when permanent death is coming how can you focus on this temporary death that we call sleep how can you sleep you won't get sleep when you know death is near and that is what happens to everybody in lanka right and the next day meghnatha or the son of ravana jumps into the war and what happens then because this is again another important turning in that war before we come to that we'll take a short break dear listeners don't go away on the other side of that of this bhajan we're going to play we'll continue our discussion Yeah. <laughs> 
Welcome back, dear listeners. We are in that part of the discussion where Indrajit or Meghnada has uh, has given word to his father in the court that he will, you know, he will get into the battle and he will show the enemies their place. And the next morning, Meghnada comes and uh, he starts inflicting heavy blows to the enemy camp because, as we have heard many times, we have heard even Swami telling that. He was, after Ravana, the most effective uh, warrior in Ravana's camp. He is supposed to have defeated even Indra in a battle, and that's why he has this appellation, Indrajit. And uh, immediately, when they start, when Meghnata starts coming and starts uh, fighting, Lakshmana t- uh, takes him on, right? Uh, before Lakshmana, I think Hanuman comes, and he starts, he decides that he needs to step in because uh, the. Uh, the number of Vandras dying on this side is enormous. So Hanuman comes and Swami says that you know he jumps into the battlefield, he plucks one of the peaks nearby and throws it at Meghnada and at that very moment Meghnada rises to the sky and uh, the stone which, I mean the peak which Hanuman throws destroys his chariot, his charioteer and the horses. Um, Meghnada saves himself because he jumps into the skies. You know, when I read this description, I am often reminded of how all of us are. I feel all of us are like, at least most of us, are just like those Vanaras. See, the Vanaras, they go, they are full sure. They know that their Lord Rama, nothing can happen to them and they go. But the sight of one thing different, you know, possibly the nightfall or possibly some other demon coming and doing something, they are again being thrashed. They again start running back. You know, they start run, running back to Rama and again uh, seek to him to inter- seek with him to intervene. And then Rama intervenes and again after that, oh, they are all emboldened again. Again with the Rama's name they go. I feel, you know, this is nothing but a difference in their own attitude. Because otherwise, how can the same uh, same Vanaras who were fleeing and running helter-skelter from one demon run back and smash the same demon next? Not, what has changed? Nothing else has changed. Because as I said, as we've read also, Rama doesn't seem to be slaying any of the demons. Only when they run, Swami writes that Rama smiles inwardly and he just releases one arrow that brightens up the sky or you know, it's almost like just Rama is there encouraging the uh, Vanaras. And they are only the ones who are beating the demons. I feel this is what happens to us also. You know, we uh, when something good happens, we are strongly enthused and we feel Swami is always with us. Nothing can touch us. When Swami is there, what can happen? The smallest bad bad turn that life may take. You know, when I say bad, I mean in this in our own sense, what we don't see as good. Any slight bad turn that life takes, we get demoralized. We get demotivated. We say, Swami, what is this happening? Swami, what happened? We run back to Swami again. And therefore, I, I feel all of us are like the Vanaras. We should aspire to be like Hanuman. Hanuman goes and he's brave and he fights against Indrajit. You know, one may say that Hanuman is more strong, so Hanuman is more powerful. Why is Hanuman more strong? Why is he more powerful? Because when it came to jumping the ocean, we saw Hanuman was same like the others. The only reason he is more powerful is because of his faith in the Lord's name. It is faith that makes Hanuman so powerful. And in the battlefield, when all the other Vanaras are running away, Hanuman is able to inflict a body blow to Indrajit. Hanuman alone is able to do it. This inspired me into thinking that, you know, it doesn't matter whether everyone around you has faith in Swami or not. 
even if we one person alone has faith in swami that is enough because you see while all the vanaras are running and beating the retreat hanuman is not and is it that because everybody is beating the retreat and hanuman is standing single handedly he is foolish no because he didn't get vanquished he is able to defeat the enemy even single handedly i i felt so inspired thinking that it doesn't matter what people around are doing we often uh, justify ourselves not doing good things dharmic things or noble things because the standard excuse is come on nobody is doing it everybody is indulging in adharma everyone is indulging in what is not good what is the use if i alone do yeah even if i alone do it is of use because when i am alone doing i am being backed by the lord it's my faith in the lord and just like hanuman was single handedly able to smash the chariot the charioteer and the horses of indrajit and make him flee to the sky i think whatever may be the forces of evil if we are firm in our faith in the lord we will not have to run helter skelter and go through these ups and downs of victory and defeat we will be able to stand and face anything courageously and boldly just like hanuman did and, and, and the more we talk about this battle scene the more we talk about what is happening on both sides it's it's again coming back to the same thing you know there is so much of similarity between both the sides we are talking about hanuman's courage and actually the, just the previous scene we spoke about ravana's courage and meghnatha's courage hmm. you know when they got up and said no we will do it and we will kill and you know don't worry we are the will be the champs you see the same confidence you know there is confidence on this side and that side but even in our description we talk of this confidence as noble and this courage as so uh, praiseworthy and we talk of that uh, confidence as vinashakali vipriti buddhi hmm. it clearly says that you know it's so difficult in everyday life to differentiate between right and wrong what is the right uh, anger and wrong anger what is the right courage and what is the foolish courage but you can clearly say for yourself when you know that you have been on the right side you know swami has often says your conscience conscience never lies your conscience will always tell you that if you're wrong you're wrong you know it will never try to mince words and that's why you know that when you've done something wrong and you're trying to put up a brave face it's vinashakali vipriti buddhi or you know it's it's being adamant it's being uh, you know obstinate but if you've done right and you're absolutely sure what you've done is right the courage that comes out of it is pure self confidence in it and and self with that capital s as swami would say very very well put and it is that self confidence that swami has come to bolster and boost because in innumerable discourses swami has told that to build the mansion of self realization you need the foundation of self confidence he says then you have to build the walls of self satisfaction and the roof of self sacrifice then you'll attain the mansion of self realization but the foundation for everything is self confidence so swami i feel has come to boost that very thing boost that self confidence that is exactly what rama is also doing as we read the ramkatha we realize that rama is not fighting the war at all only thing that rama apparently is doing is whenever the vanaras lose their confidence whenever they are low on self confidence when they lose their morale he just boosts back their morale that's it because whatever needs to be achieved the vanaras themselves are achieving it so that is one i feel that is the purpose for which the avatar comes to boost the morale to boost the self confidence and as you said it's a it's self confidence with the capital s 
so once and you know another thought that just comes over here is see what rama is doing as i as we discussed is boosting the morale but sometimes you don't actually need even rama when hanuman does this kind of attack on indrajit we can we read that the vanaras are bolstered again they get their courage back it just goes to show that what the lord can achieve even the faith in the lord can achieve it is definitely the lord who inspires faith in the devotee but the implicit faith of one devotee can also inspire faith in the other devotee and i think that is what swami is building also you know each one yes swami definitely inspires but each one be strong in your faith in swami and that in itself will inspire faith in so many others i'm reminded of that incident where one student asked swami swami we are just a handful how will we go and transform the world you know the world is such a large place swami said it is your duty to follow my teachings with implicit faith whatever you have learned here with complete faith you follow it it is my job to ensure that people around will look at you will get inspired by you and will imbibe those very qualities from you so you see all we need to do is with faith stand up for swami that's enough rest automatically things will happen we need not fret and fume and most importantly we should not use that as an as an excuse for giving up our faith and steadfastness saying that after all me alone being like that is not going to make any difference so let me give that up like hanuman again comes back to the same thing let us be in that faith because after all today hanuman is a god by himself you know the devotee has become the lord only because of his implicit faith in the lord can we imbibe that kind of implicit faith and the way swami writes it as you're saying each word is so beautifully chosen at this point where uh, we spoke about hanuman coming and he's uh, he's infused this fresh confidence in all these ravanas at that time swami says you know to heighten the courage and quicken their pace lakshmana joined hanuman Mm. and with his mighty bow and sharp arrows he fell you know uh, joined the battle as we in the, the beginning of the ramayana we, we said swami talks about the uh, adhyatmik ramayana where swami says hanuman stands for courage and lakshmana stands for buddhi or intelligence mm. and if you see it the first the first uh, inspiration or that uh, flush of confidence comes from a uh, gut feeling and a courage which is like you know which doesn't look back look ahead who just jumps into the fray and that's what hanuman stands for here you know he doesn't think that oh this is meghnatha he is the great warrior and all that mm. he just jumps into it with the courage and that kind of boosts the rest of these people the the vanaras and then lakshmana steps in you know where you don't you don't blindly for, you know throw in the courage but even the thinking process comes in once you have the confidence that yes i can do it and then you start using your intelligence to maneuver around and you know get your uh, the victory is more certain you know actually when you were narrating this prem one small blooper slipped out from your tongue mm-hmm. you instead of uh, saying to support the vanaras you said to support the ravanas oh, okay. okay so <laughs> i was just thinking my god wow, yeah. you know what actually these are having the same notes yep. vanara ravana you know right. but <laughs> what a difference between ravana and a vanara and again the difference comes only because vanara is backed by rama and ravana is against rama Right. <laughs> <laughs> so as, now lakshmana as you said goes and faces uh, the forces and 
Ravana apparently gets to know that Lakshmana has joined the fray and so he sends a lot of reinforcements to support Indrajit. And Ravana again, and um, Indrajit, you know, using his Maya, using his uh, illusory powers, he keeps manufacturing chariots and charioteers and horses for himself and keeps fighting. And every time Lakshmana is destroying that, this war seems to be going, this battle seems to be a stalemate between Lakshmana and Indrajit because nobody is winning, nobody is losing, it's going on. That is when Indrajit uses a Shakti given to him by Brahma. And Brahma has assured him that whomever it can be used against, it will be effective for one, one time, one time use. And Indrajit feels this is the time to use it and he uses the Shakti on Lakshmana. Swami writes that the arrow finds its mark and Lakshmana falls unconscious. And as Lakshmana falls unconscious, Indrajit is jubilant. The the, the, uh, army of Ravana is jubilant because... Finally, you know, somebody on the other side, even if they didn't die, at least they have fallen. One hero on the other side has fallen. And so they come and try to take the uh, body, Lakshmana's body away. And Swami writes, as to how many ever people try to carry, they are not able to carry the body of Lakshmana. Indrajit himself tries. He is not able to carry it because, after all, who is Lakshmana? Rama is Vishnu and Lakshmana is Adishesha. Adishesha, who is the fulcrum and support for the entire universe. How can something which is part of the universe lift the basis of the universe, the support for the universe? That is why nobody is able to lift Lakshmana. Swami writes, only, you know, again that sentence, if you think of it, Prem, it's like a pun intended there. It has double meaning, it's so beautiful. Swami writes that only one who loves Rama can move Lakshmana. Swami writes like that. Uh, In the direct sense meaning that those who love Rama has the ability to have the ability to carry around Lakshmana. The other thing is Lakshmana is not moved by anything else, only moved by those who love Rama. And so Indrajit is not able to Indrajit is not able to carry Lakshmana back to the camp and exult in front of his father saying that here is Lakshmana, Ravana's brother who has fallen unconscious, who has been affected by my arrow, my Shakti, which Brahma had given me. Instead they go back, Lakshmana is lying on the floor there. It is Hanuman who is able to easily lift him and again Hanuman has great love for Rama so he is able to move Lakshmana. He lifts him and he takes him to Rama. And uh, of course at this point the the narration is a little different from the Valmiki Ramayana because as we know I think Swami does not talk about Rama swooning. Actually in the uh, Valmiki Ramayana before the Shakti is used he uses the Nagapasha and the Nagapasha actually makes whoever is, uh, is the target of that Astra unconscious. And that's how he makes Rama and Lakshmana unconscious. And then he shoots the Shakti against Lakshmana where that's how Lakshmana gets hurt. And apparently when this episode is there where he tries to lift uh, Lakshmana or Rama and take them back to the camp, he's not able to. But nevertheless, Meghnatha goes back to, goes back to Ravana and says that he has achieved the, you know, the victory. Rama and Lakshmana have been slain. But immediately the other in the courtiers in Ravana's court tell him that it's not possible. It's not possible that Ravana and Rama and Lakshmana can be killed. They might have been uh, incapacitated for a short while. That's the best that could have been achieved. So at this time, it seems Ravana decides to play another trick on Sita. He says that why not we tell Sita that Rama and Lakshmana have been killed in the battle. So he calls Trijata, and a very interesting episode. And he calls Trijata and tells her, 
Trijata does, you know, she takes uh, Mother Sita on the Pushpaka Vimana and she sees that Rama, Rama and Lakshmana are lying unconscious there with all the other Vanaras around, the uh, commanders of the army around. So she starts wailing and she's again uh, lost in depression and she says, oh God, it's all over. At that time, it seems Trijata gives a small hint. Mm. She says, uh, you know, Mother Sita, don't be worried. There is actually a secret. A widow can never get onto the Pushpaka Vimana. Oh, okay. And that's the boon that Pushpaka Vipana has, it seems. The very fact that you are flying on it means that your husband is not dead. <laughs> Beautiful. What a sweet <laughs> twist in the story, right? <laughs> yes, because Trijata, all said and done, is pro-Sita, is pro-Rama. Right, right. She is one of, she is the uh, daughter of Vibhishna. And, and uh, the story goes that that's how uh, she's consoled that nothing would have happened. And later, it seems, Garuda comes and chases away all these snakes, which come out of this uh, Nagapasha. Nagapasha. And, and then uh, Rama says, you know, who are you? How have you come to our help? And that's when Garuda says, don't worry, don't worry about it. Mm. When your avatar ends and everything is settled, then you will know that why I came to your rescue. It is part of my duty. <laughs> it is part of my duty. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Uh, so that is what Valmiki has written. As we said, that is the perspective of a, uh, the way a man sees a perfect man. Because Tulsi Das's Ramayana is the way a devotee sees the Lord. Swami's is the autobiography. So, in the autobiography, Swami writes that uh, Lakshmana is carried to Rama and Rama, because before that itself, Rama is asking for Lakshmana, Lakshmana, Lakshmana. And Swami writes that Rama knows that this has happened. And yet now he has to enact the drama, which once again, Swami makes it amply clear. Every time anything comes like this, Swami makes it clear that Rama is only doing a drama. I feel that, for me, I just felt that that is like a hint I should keep in mind whenever we look at whatever Swami has done we have to keep reminding ourselves that you know it is not Swami who is getting thrilled or Swami getting excited or Swami getting depressed or Swami getting sad or Swami getting angry all that is just a drama Swami is doing for the Ramayana of our lives to go on so again Swami writes here that Rama is asking for Lakshmana as if he doesn't know he knows everything yet he asks and Hanuman brings him in and Swami doesn't mention it here, but in many of his discourses, Swami describes this scene very beautifully. And in his description, we get to know the high esteem at which Rama holds Lakshmana. Absolutely. I think uh, Swami is uh, referred to that in many, many discourses. I'll just play one clip from a uh, discourse which Swami gave during the Dashara of 1998, this 25th of uh, September where Swami spoke about this particular incident in some other context, but Swami refers to that uh, dialogue which Ramayana, Rama uh, makes at this moment when he sees that Lakshmana has fallen in the battlefield. When Lakshmana fainted in the battlefield, Rama fell sad. Lakshmana... Lakshmana, I can have a wife of the type of Sita. 
that is what you know i also remember doing many summer courses many discourses swami narrating this again and again where he says that i can get a mother like kausalya i can get a wife like sita but i can't get a brother like lakshmana so that is the high esteem rama holds lakshmana in it's almost like if Rama has to repeat the avatarhood <laughs> the only constant that he would choose before choosing his parents or wife or anything is lakshmana that is the uh, uh, high esteem that rama holds him in and actually we look at the incidents depicted so far we realize why it is whether it is building that cottage at at uh, panchavati panchavati where lakshmana says that rama you know i why do you even ask me to build a hut at the place where i desire is there any difference between your desire and my desire it shows oneness with rama or even to the point where right in the beginning itself when they were born lakshmana would constantly cry unless placed beside rama because both rama and lakshmana have come from the same payasam apparently right from there if we see it becomes evident that lakshmana is nothing but a part of rama himself and therefore if rama has to take another avatar the only the most important thing that he has to get is himself and since lakshmana is a part of himself it's obvious that rama holds him in such high great high regard and high value and high esteem it's very moving and it is very nice because every time when swami has narrated this it's almost as if swami is getting nostalgic and swami is remembering the love that lakshmana has for him and the love that he has for lakshmana Absolutely. In fact, how many times you've heard Swami say that so fondly? Going back to the story here, and as we say that uh, Rama is very, uh, Rama is in the camp. The the uh, Vanaras are coming back. That's when he looks around and says, "Where is Lakshmana?" And uh, he sees that Hanuman walks in carrying Lakshmana on his shoulder. and uh, at that moment he pretends as though he is very sick and he uh, that is when this dialogue is uttered at this point uh, he's you know very fondly sitting there and you know swami does not say that he's depressed or he's crying or something but he puts lakshmana's head on his lap and he's very f- fondly uh, stroking his head that's when jambavan comes and says rama this is not the time for us to uh, delay let's get some medical help immediately let's uh, you know do something let's get the medicine which he requires and that is when they decide to get the uh, medical practitioner of lanka to come and help uh, lakshmana sushena but shall we take a short break before we continue in that yes uh, yes dear listeners so we'll continue what happens because sushena is now in the enemy camp and uh, Rama decides, and uh, based on the information given by the Vanaras, you know, it, uh, one more interesting thing I thought was uh, the Vanaras have engineers, they have got warriors. They don't seem to be having a doctor in their midst, but possibly this was an opportunity that Rama decided to bestow on Sushena to have his darshan. Because you see, when we look at Swami's projects, also we see people from all other countries 
coming and participating in it does not mean that there are there aren't enough doctors or enough people to do seva in andhra pradesh or in india it just looks like the lord picks the souls whom he has to touch and they the chosen ones are called from wherever they are to the place to the presence of the lord that is what is the blessing that sushena is about to receive from rama and that is why they decide to call sushena so dear listeners we will take a break now and on the other side of the break continue with the story ram sita Sita 
Welcome back, dear listeners. Uh, Lakshmana is unconscious, and everyone seems to be worried. Rama is sad. Rama has apparently cried out, saying that I can never get a brother like Lakshmana. And every time they were in distress and they were sad, it is Rama who has come to their rescue. And it's almost like everybody in the army feels it their responsibility to console Rama now. And the suggestion is made to get. Sushena Sushena from Lanka who is the chief physician for Ravana I think there is also a Sushena army general among the right. monkeys right one of the uh, generals in the Vanara camp is also called Sushena I think maybe Sushena and Sushena or maybe there is no difference in the pronunciation whatever this is the uh, person from Ravana's army and uh, his home is in Lanka again who else but the trusted hanuman who is given the job of getting sushena here now as hanuman goes to lanka he finds he manages to locate the house of sushena but he doesn't know whether sushena will be willing to come with him or not or what is the condition and it's quite late in the night as we uh, 
red also you know because uh, not late in the night it's early in the morning now it's the early morning onslaught of uh, indrajit that has fallen lakshmana so as everyone is busy in their celebrations in lanka hanuman seeks out sushena's house and then he picks up the whole house <laughs> the possibility is the first house moving in the history <laughs> of mankind he lifts the whole house as it is and brings sushena's house and plants it in front of rama and as sushena opens the door and walks out <laughs> whoa <laughs> it is rama <laughs> so beautifully described by swami there you know sushena walks out of his house and then he finds lord rama sitting there and uh, and swami says that the moment he sees lord rama he is so thrilled and he goes and falls at rama's feet and understandably i think a uh, lot of people in in uh, lanka were like vibhishana who were you know probably living under the umbrella of ravana but by then they had realized who was at their doorstep and you know what a you know what a fortune it is for him to have the darshan of lord rama so he goes goes and falls at rama's feet and then he is told that this is why he was brought to uh, rama's presence and then he checks lakshmana and then immediately he prescribes the medicine which is required for that but before that at the same time this news spreads to uh, ravana that ravana comes to know that sushena is gone and i think he probably presumes that sushena has joined the enemy camp uh, rather than go he's been taken there without his knowledge and uh, that's when ravana starts deciding to do something about it and he knows that uh, you know something will uh, i think he senses that hanuman will be sent sent on uh, this mission because i think swami puts that even uh, Actually, what happens is uh, Sushena yeah, prescribes, prescribes, prescribes the drug. Prescribes you know, the he, drug. He completes his diagnosis and he says that there is one Sanjeevani herb. Swami writes it as Sanjeevi. Yeah, there are different ways. Some call it Sanjeevani. Some call it Sanjeevi. And uh, this Sanjeevi herb is found only in the Drona mountain range. And you know, uh, Prem, recently when we had. Uh, not recently two years back when we had gone to the kumao himalayas this drona range is there and mm-hmm. i forget the name dhunagiri i think dhunagiri dhunagiri is the name given to the mountain which people say that this is the dronagiri parvat dhunagiri or dronagiri okay uh, actually drona is a mountain range but now they have identified one peak which they say this is the mountain peak on which sanjeevani herb is grown so when we went there there's a actually surprisingly there was no hanuman temples or anything there's a devi temple at dhunagiri and we went there and uh, they were treating all plants as great value because you know i think even to this day we face the dilemma that hanuman faced that he doesn't know which is the actual sanjeevani herb even a person of hanuman's caliber i think i'm jumping the gun a little bit uh, we shall come to this in the next uh, uh, satsang but hanuman was not able to locate the actual herb the sanjeevani herb so they say even to this day the sanjeevani herb grows there but we are not able to locate which is the actual one it is supposed to be a herb that adds to your life span it gives you a uh, great energy it makes you youthful and any guide that you take in that region will tell you all about this and say why that dronagiri parvat why dhunagiri is so special they say that even if you are not able to locate the herb since the herb is here you just come spend time here bathe in the waters here breathe in the air here and you will be assured of youth and a long life and a healthy life and you know that's how they have propagated it so yeah this has to be fetched from 
द्रोणगिरी विच इज एज ए सेट इन द कुमा हिमालयाज द हिमालयाज आर सो फार अवे फ्रॉम लंका सो आई थिंक वेन यू सेट दैट रावणा नोज दैट हनुमान इज गोइंग आई थिंक इट इज नैचुरल दैट रावणा विल अज्यूम हनुमान विल बी सेंट बिकॉज इट वॉज हनुमान हु आर सेंट वेन वेन द माइल्स ऑफ ओशन हैड टू बी क्रॉस्ड सो इट इज वेरी नैचुरल दैट रावणा अज्यूम दैट हनुमान विल बी सेंट to the himalayas to fetch this medicine for lakshmana and sushina as well in fact in this side uh, hanuman himself uh, volunteers to go on that errand and rama blesses him and then he takes off and that's when uh, as we said in ravana's camp ravana says that something has to be done to stop uh, hanuman and he calls one of his trusted aides and his name is kalanemi from what i remember where i what i read somewhere kalanemi is apparently an uncle of ravana right i think he is also related to marichi so marichi is again one of the uh, uncles or somebody of ravana and i think he is the son or father somebody is related in that family i think all of them are <laughs> <laughs> one big family and again kalanemi also you know advises against uh, doing anything he says you know the doom is coming nothing can stop hanuman hanuman came here all your generals were in lanka and nobody could stop him and you know what can i being a single person stop him and again ravana you know throws a, his rage Death at uh, kalanemi and he says you know prepare to die this is not what i heard from you i thought you will be pumped up to take this task and uh, take on hanuman so that's when again kalanemi is again uh, you know faced with that dilemma do i refuse to do this and get killed by ravana or i might as well take the task and be killed by somebody more holier hanuman or rama in the process yeah so that's why he accept the task uh, you know uh, premi was just saying possibly everybody is related to everybody over there if we believe in the thing that in the beginning you know the population has grown and there is only one uh, ancestor in that sense we are all related to the same family in fact in our uh, sanatana dharma uh, there is this tradition you know when a marriage is fixed an alliance is fixed it's so beautiful it's so scientific as that at the same time so rich of richly filled with culture when uh, you know marriages within the family are not encouraged from a cultural perspective from a scientific perspective also it is wrong because the gene pool uh, dilution uh, the the gene pool is not enriched if marriages happen within the family right. in fact there was a recent study i uh, documentary i saw on the national geographic channel about how a pride of lions they take over an entire territory and they destroy all other prides you know because they are a big pride and they need food mm-hmm. and they grow and grow because they have no competition they grow to such a large number and suddenly after they have become something like about 40 lions and lionesses once week later suddenly they notice that only four of them are left everything has been wiped out mm-hmm. and they get to know that that's because of a disease and in that documentary it was one hour documentary at the end they concluded that because of inbreeding they had become very very susceptible and that is the reason they were not robust and a single disease came and wiped out most of them see that is why they say do not in fact you will notice that if there is marriages happening between siblings the closer the uh, the people who are getting married in blood greater the probability of children being born with some defects or the other right so in india what I, uh, why i came to this whole thing was in india when when a marriage is fixed they ask 
which lineage do you belong to which gotram you know you will either be bharadwaja gotram or vishwamitra gotram you know uh, meaning i belong to the lineage of this great sage it is such a thing of i think it is such a matter of great honor at the same time matter of pride at the same time something that makes us greatly responsible you know i am coming from the family of sage vishwamitra how is sage vishwamitra how my how should my behavior be now if two people belong to the same gotra they won't get married if two people belong to the same bharadwaja gotra if the man and woman belong to the bharadwaja gotra they won't get married because it is akin to people of the same family getting married to each other right so that is the kind of vasudeva kutumbakam that uh, is happening in india even at a practical basis on a practical level also they believe that all the family of bharadwaja should not marry within each other that is the kind of thing so so i, I this just a possibly a stray thought but i just thought it is nice to share when you spoke about the entire uh, asuras and ra- rakshasas being one family right and uh, i think we might not have time to go into the story of kalanemi and uh, what happens how he tries to stop hanuman and what is the story a very interesting story again a short uh, episode here which is uh, which shows hanuman's greatness because this is on the way to the sanjivani parvat I think mm-hmm. that it must have been somewhere in central India where this episode happens. And Kalinemi himself has a beautiful history and uh, again, how everything is so divinely ordained and how we can look at a story but you never get the entire essence of the story just going through one episode or one particular part of that story. We, we will see that in Kalinemi's story itself. And of course, for the next episode, we'll have Hanuman flying back with the sanjivani parvat which is i think uh, next episode meaning probably uh, the next month because the next two weeks we'll be going back to our navavida bhakti satsang on the other end of I mean, at the end of those two weeks we'll come back to the ramayana where we will see this i mean uh, he's been immortalized in this pose of him holding up that mountain even in puttaparthi we have that statue right on top of the hill where he's holding the hill probably when you're talking about this episode we will also talk a little bit about that uh, statue which swami created as a design as a prototype for that 65 feet statue which came later so with that we conclude this week satsang offering our humble pranams and love at the lotus feet of our beloved bhagwan and to hanuman we'll conclude with a bhajan on the other side of which will be the segment love to love <laughs> 